seconds flat. Give me up. This is the Seconds Flat Running Podcast. He's been broken three times. He refuses to give in. He might do it. Look at that guy. Look at Black Zero. Oh, my God. Hello again, friends, and welcome to mile 146 of the Seconds Flat Running Podcast presented by Columbus Running Company and ColumbusRunning.com. On the other end, I have Dr. Phil Gregory, firm in sports medicine. Travis, it's good to see you, man. It is wonderful to see you again, Phil. How are we doing? Ah, doing good. Do you appreciate my tan? It has been lovely down here the past couple uh, of days. It's been some some warm weather, some some eighties. I see they've been showing the footage from Greenville during the women's Sweet Sixteen and Elite Eight in the basketball tournament. It looks like nice weather. Everybody out and about in town. It's been nice, and there there have been some big crowds in town. Well, particularly for the Carolina fans, but uh, yeah, it's been a good turnout for the the tournament this weekend. Yeah, a lot of good action, and of course that leads to. Our main topic for this evening, we are going to do the women's bracket in our March greatest marathoner of all time bracket. We worked our way through the men last week. We have a sweet 16 of women for this week to break down shortly. I'm excited to see how our brackets line up and go through, again, the great history of this sport. Uh, The history in the women's bracket is a little bit more condensed, largely over the last 40 or so years in this bracket. Of course, we didn't see women in the Olympic marathon until 1984, so it's a bit more of a modern take on the event, but it will be fun to see who Phil declares the greatest marathoner of all time. And uh, as we said before we started recording, we might have a little more similarity this time. We will see. Before we go to well, that, Phil. Well, my, my bracket here is a whole lot better than my uh, NCAA bracket was, though. That's why I don't fill those out, Phil, because I'm certain (laughs) I wouldn't have had any of those final four. I'm way more confident about my marathon knowledge. Before we fill in our bracket, Phil, Easter is coming soon. We're a couple weeks away. You created quite a stir. You set the internet ablaze last fall with your Halloween candy power rankings. People were in your comments heavy on Strava. They can be wrong. If enough people say something, it feels like it maybe has some credence to it. (laughs) (laughs) The dots were not well received. For Easter, what is your favorite Easter candy, Phil? That's part one of my question. I have a second part for you. There is no question. It is Cadbury eggs. Okay. You're you're such a child. (laughs) (laughs) You know, for for Easter candy, Cadbury eggs, maybe jelly beans are a close second. Okay, now hold on. Hold my, on. my hot take is that peeps are only good to explode in the microwave. All right, so that was the second thing I was going to ask you if you like peeps because oh, peeps, absolutely not. Peeps no. are terrible, but Cadbury eggs were ranked uh, in a list that I saw today, which sparked this topic as the worst, the most disliked Easter candy. So you are <laughs> probably going to hear some criticism once again, but at least we can agree that peeps are miserable. I, I need to work on my marketing to uh, boost the rankings of Dots and uh, Cadbury Eggs. I'm sure either of them would sponsor this program with the way that their product is going right now. All the <laughs> hate that they're getting. 
Phil, both you and I are at the beginning of training blocks here in, in the formal sense. We've been mm -hmm. running pretty consistently for a few months now post CIM, but uh, we both have our eyes on future race targets. We're starting to set more concrete uh, goals for our weekly training. So we haven't done a training recap in quite some time since yeah. before CIM. Phil, how about you give us a little outline of maybe what your past week, two weeks have looked like in a general sense of the structure, the volume, some of the key sessions that you've done so that we see the the path that you're on and maybe we can discuss why you're doing what you're doing when you are doing it. Yeah. Well, and I, to a degree, I kind of appreciate your feedback on some of this because mm -hmm. like you said, it, it's kind of a transition phase. We're starting to get a little more structure in place, have some, I guess, B goals for the year coming up, specifically targeting the uh, going back to New River again, uh, mm -hmm. most likely for the half in mid-May, but then on towards a greater target of Chicago beginning of October. So really haven't quite introduced a ton of structure yet, but I'll take you through kind of a, a we'll go through the past week and then kind of my overall thought process. And I'd, I'd be curious about your feedback, but sure. um, we're recording on Tuesday. So you know, we'll go back to last Wednesday, which is nothing terribly exciting to report. It was a, a life day, we'll call it. <laughs> um, <laughs> and that I planned to get a session in. I had Deke's quarters in my mind doing some, you know, alternating 400s hard with 200 float. Life got in the way and wasn't able to get anything in that day. Thursday, just got out for a easy 40 minutes at lunch, just kind of getting out and cruising. Friday, you know where I am on Friday. Yeah, climbing back the to, mountain. Back to Parish Mountain. We were, we were watching the seasons change as we make that climb nice. uh, this time of year. And then Saturday, Saturday was a solid run. Nothing terribly exciting, but just a, a solid hour. I pushed it a little bit, but it was more that things were feeling good and the stride was feeling smooth. So I wouldn't even call this like a marathon paced effort, but more, you know, not quite an easy run. It really felt pretty smooth. The bigger session of the week was on Sunday when I got out for two hours at a little over 15 miles or so. And this has really been my first big long run of the year. I've been sitting around... 90 minutes or so relatively consistently the past well i guess probably since the first of the year or so but as i look towards a fall marathon i'd like at this stage of things to get that weekend long run up to a consistent two hours uh just to build some time on feet and some strength and then yesterday was a just an easy shakeout 30 minutes in the morning uh i was able to get in the pool for about 30 minutes at lunch just to nice. get moving and get the heart rate up Today was an off day, and then my plan tomorrow is to get in uh, some mile repeats, probably somewhere a little around 10K pace, probably about three of those. But if, if, as I think about the structure of you know, specific workouts, you know, at this stage of things and looking back over what I've done the past four to six weeks, it's been more working on just kind of working through the gears. So I've done a couple of sessions of four by four minutes at... 10k pace. I've done a couple of Mona fart licks. I've done a couple of Deeks quarters. So no, no real long workouts, but some sessions where there's some significant change of paces, but working a fair bit of time around that 10k, 10k pace. I like it, Phil. Most importantly, getting to two hours in that long run. I think anytime you transition into a more structured 
training program for a half marathon or for you in particular, your big fall goal is Chicago marathon, comfortably doing two hours consistently as you move into that specific block to me is critical Mm -hmm. for you. As you said, it was maybe 15, 16 miles last weekend. I want to be able to do that repeatedly before I actually move into however long your block for Chicago is going to be, if that's the target, 10, 12, 16, 18 weeks, whatever that might look like. Having that long run there, having consistent volume and having done some faster work before you go into that marathon specific block is super helpful. So I would key in on that. I like that you Mm -hmm. did that and I would, you don't have to do it every weekend, but I would want to have that consistently in the program here as you move across your half marathon training for May and through the summer. Yeah. You, you bailed on Deke's quarters last Wednesday, certainly understand the circumstances. So my question is if Deke's quarters was on the menu for last Wednesday, and you chose to skip it, why is it not on the menu for tomorrow and instead you're doing these mile repeats? Oh, there's absolutely no reason for that, Travis. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. No, that, that, really, that's, that's more just my, I don't even know, thought process. But it's like, well, it's like I didn't get that done, but let's, you know, what else can I play around with this week? Again, kind of shifting from the somewhat unstructured to somewhat structured. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I, I, you know, you probably have a very good point there that there is no reason to not do Deke's quarters this week. And really, yeah. as what I've been working around with that 10K pace, that's probably a better session than, you know, mile repeats at this point. Well, first, loyal listeners of this program certainly will never doubt your honesty and integrity, Phil. You just... <laughs> You come right out and admit it. You love dots and you don't know why you're doing what you're doing in your training. (laughs) (laughs) There might be a reason to do the Deeks quarters over the mile repeats rather than, you know, you saying, I'm just experimenting with some stuff. I don't have a reason not to do it. Is it possible that with how early you are in in a structured format, that the shorter intervals of the Deeks quarters are perhaps more appropriate than something that's a mile long? Yeah, I I think that's fair. And I think that's one thing that I've noticed, particularly with like the Mona Fartlicks, is that the early session or the early intervals, the longer intervals, you know, those paces are pretty comfortable to hit. But as we get down to like the 15 second intervals, yeah, you know, that last little extra gear just isn't quite there. So you're probably right. Kind of working those shorter, faster, faster paces would be more productive than something longer at this point, knowing that. You know, as we get a couple weeks down the road, and especially as we get into a marathon block, those those intervals will be in the you know, mile, two mile plus range. Yeah. Moreover, given your current level of fitness, if you were to do the mile reps, it would probably need to be significantly slower than any work that you're doing in the Deeks quarter session. They mm-hmm. would, they'd have to be very aerobic to yeah. be productive for you. And of course, high-end aerobic work is, is always valuable, but we wouldn't want to tip you over the edge early in that session and then not get anything out of it. The next piece that I'll say, the, the last point about that training for you to reflect on is the piece that probably over that CIM block last year was the biggest point that we worked toward and need to continue to work toward 
is just that total global volume as you move towards Chicago yeah. beyond the sessions that you're doing getting that number to that to your target goal might be the most important piece next piece excuse me beyond the long run in laying a good foundation for what you're going to do in the fall in Chicago because it is my hope that Chicago is a great breakthrough for you it's certainly yeah, yeah. A, a course with opportunity that sounds like a good way to to kick off that training block it, it it'll be kind of a short run six eight weeks before new river and a half get a little fitness check there and set yourself up to decide if you need uh any time off before gearing it up to Chicago. I'm sure you have the countdown. You're only six months away, Phil. I mean, your days are <laughs> ticking away. You better really That's get right. focused quick. No, I, on my open tabs here is a list of uh, hotels and flights and <laughs> all the other stuff that I haven't yet brought to my wife about how much we uh, <laughs> might spend on this trip. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's no worries. She doesn't listen to this, so she'll uh, never, never find yeah, out. She'll never know. <laughs> yeah. All right. For me, Phil, you mentioned having done the Mona Fartlek a couple of times. I actually put one in with some guys this morning as well. Uh, what a great uh, way to start the day. Yeah. Fantastic session. Last week was probably the first week where I felt fit enough to, to finally get fit, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. uh, been laying the the foundation over the early months here this year and had a good week last week. In some, it was... 94.5, I believe, miles. But that was spread over six days rather than seven. I took Saturday off. Just nice. I happened to, to work out with my work schedule. So uh, the day of rest did me well, felt good. There were uh, two good sessions during the week, did 400 reps at 10K. So a, a classic session we've talked about a lot uh, in the Ingebrigtsen threshold format, 20 by 400 at 10K on 100 jog. Good week with a, a just a lot of volume, good number of strides early in the week. Late week, I did 10 times a loop that we use with our team that's 0.6-ish miles. I don't remember the exact number, but it's slightly under a K. I did loops on that in alternating directions, uh, odds one way, evens the other at threshold effort. And there's a stop sign after the loop that's just a short jog. So it was like 45 to 50 seconds of jogging in between and then... It was a little over three minutes for each of the reps. And that was a watershed for me in 2023 so far as I did this same session eight weeks ago when I was just first getting, getting into the base back into workouts. And at that time I did eight reps. So two more reps with much more control. Effort was definitely uh, easier certainly that intensity felt as I ran it, like I'm, I'm in control throughout this mm -hmm. and, and constantly checked myself once I started to see times. Cause I was only checking time at the end of the loop and saying, Oh, am I running it too fast? The average was between four and five seconds per loop faster, which would be probably seven or eight seconds a mile. Nice. Yeah. Uh, yeah. From an F rate of uh, perceived effort, it was the same or less. So that was a great sign. And then probably the best long run so far of the year, 20 miles at about a 640 average on Sunday morning. Weather was perfect. Had a, a great one with some guys, great conversation out on a bike trail, wound it down towards the end, closer to marathon effort, but felt in control. So this week that we are in now puts me 12 weeks out from a 
as of yet unnamed target race that I have on the <laughs> schedule. Later be revealed. <laughs> yeah, so we're not we're gonna gonna say anything yet. We're not jinxing anything, and uh, I'm I'm actually really happy with where I am and quite excited about just being able to dive into 10, 12 really solid weeks here that I feel like I've laid the foundation for. Yeah. Yeah. Being super excited for it. I'm excited to see what you do over the next 12 weeks. Cause it seems like really coming off of CIM after a couple of down weeks that you've been stacking some consistent bricks and putting in some consistent work. But now it, like you said, it's kind of, it's time to start getting a little more focused and getting more excited about actually having something circled on the calendar. Yeah, so many of the athletes we interview here will reiterate that a, a breakthrough in a distance race like a half marathon or marathon doesn't always occur at the end of the training block in which you feel like you put in great work. It might be down the road. And so while the wheels came off in those final weeks before CIM, the training throughout 2022 that led up to it is is still in the legs. And mm-hmm. I think we'll, we will see the rewards of that Sometime soon, I hope, but I know eventually. Yeah, yeah. Next time here on Mile 147, we are going to uh, have our interview with Dakota Lindworm, star from the Minnesota Distance Elite team as she preps for Boston in a few weeks, coming off a great performance at the New York City Half, recently 225 marathoner, multi-time champion at Grandma's Marathon and so now we unveil a sweet 16 that I'm sure Dakota hopes someday she will be on. There's a lot of work to do, but she's got some victories to her name and still time to get there. These are our sweet 16 greatest marathoners of all time. As we did last week, we have divided this into four regions. We have seeded one through four in each region. The host sites are Tokyo, New York City, Boston, and London. We are assuming these women are running head to head on these courses to advance. Phil, let's begin in the top left at the Tokyo region. Who do we have in the 1v4 matchup? Uh, We are are going back to Tokyo for the ladies race this time. Mm -hmm. On the first seed, we have Bridget Kosge out of Kenya going against the American Dina Castor. Dina Castor, American legend. She is the 04 Olympic bronze medalist, part of that group at Mammoth Lakes with Meb Kofleski, coaches Larson and V Hill, who brought the United States back into the marathon scene after a drought in the 90s and early 2000s. Her U.S. record stood for 16 years. Uh, she has wins at 05 Chicago and 06 London. Good resume for the American Dina Castor. And she is up against your world record holder, the number one seed with a personal best of 214.04. Bridget Koskai is the 2020 Olympic silver medalist, two-time Chicago champion, two-time London champion, as well as a champion at Tokyo. Phil? She has to be in the mix for the number one overall seed on the, on the short list. Do we move on? Is it chalk or do we have an upset? As much as I would love to pick Diener, we got to go with Kosge. I, I think you're right. I, I don't know if she is the overall number one seed, but I think head-to-head Bridget wins this one. Mm-hmm. As much as I would love to pick Dina, you know, you mentioned she got bronze in the Athens, Athens Olympics in a very hot race. Uh, was part of that group up at Mammoth Track Club that was a resurgence of 
American distance running. And the resurgence and really, of group training at altitude. Yes, as well. yeah. And second wave of strong international women competitors from the U.S. as well. You know, so from a from a homer pick, I would love to pick Dina, but I think in this matchup, we got to send Bridget to the next round. Yeah, I'm with you. The jingoist in me would like to pick Dina <laughs> Castor as well, but uh, I will stick with the number one seed. So Bridget moves on in both of our brackets. That takes us down to the 2v3 matchup, two of the greats of the past. This is a good matchup, Phil. Oh, we got we a have history here? lesson here. Yes, we do. So in the in the two seed, we have Ingrid Christensen out of Norway mm-hmm. against Tegra Lurup out of Kenya. Ingrid Christensen of Norway is a five-time London champion who once simultaneously held the world records in the 5,000, 10,000, and marathon, two-time Boston champ. She had a victory at 86 Chicago, 89 New York City, 88 World Cross, set a 221 personal best at London in 1985, which lasted as the world record for 13 years. That goes up against another former world record holder, the first African world record holder, Tegla LaRoupe. She was a two-time New York City champ, three-time victor at Rotterdam, also wins at 99 Berlin and 2000 London. These are two stars of the sport, Phil. Who are you taking? We're going with Ingrid. Mm. Uh, with what she meant at the dawn of distance running, you mentioned her holding the 5K, 10K, and the world marathon record back in the early to mid-80s. I think this is an interesting matchup. But we got to move. I'm moving Ingrid into the second round. I am too. It'll be Ingrid Christensen for me as well. So that sets up a 1v2 matchup in our Tokyo bracket. Who is going to be your Tokyo champion, Phil? Since we're going head to head, Kazuke is going to win here. She's the current world record holder. She's got solid finishes at the Olympics and the world champs. That 214 time is, is tough to beat. You're so time-driven. We did this last week, too. You just you, <laughs> you, you have no value for competition. I'm going with the upset. Number two Ooh. seed, Ingrid, Ingrid Christensen moves on. The, depth, okay. the depth of resume and what she meant to the sport in her time period. One piece that benefits her is her career being finished. And we can look back at that longevity and consistency that her opponent in this round doesn't quite have. We have a mm-hmm. 214 world record. We have some victories, but it's just a couple years in that body of work where, again, Ingrid Christensen won London five times. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to take Ingrid Christensen out of Tokyo. So we, that was our first disagreement. I will note your pick on my brackets. We'll come back to it in the final four. We will move to the bottom left at New York City. Who's in the 1-4 matchup there, Phil? This is an exciting one. We got Mary Katani going against Uta Pippig out of Germany. I like how you pronounce the last names like the British broadcasters do. And I like, so Mary, much like the rest of my bracket picks, my pronunciation is correct. Unlike your, sure. your attempts at uh, whatever you need to tell yourself, Phil. I have Mary Katani versus Uta Pippig, correct? <laughs> we might not say it the same, but that's correct. Mary Katani is the women's only race world record holder at the 217.01. She has three victories at London. Four right here on this course at New York City, and she is a former half marathon world record holder. 
Uta Pippik, three times winner at Boston, 94 through 96. So she was the first to win three in a row there. She also took three Berlins. This is a very good four seed. Mm-hmm. Are you willing to shock the world? This is like dots over Reese's peanut butter cups here. Are you going to do it, Phil? Well, much like my decision on dots, my decision here is correct as well. And that you're right. This is a uh, interesting matchup. But since we are racing at New York, Mary Katani is the queen of New York City. Now, you take this race to Boston, I might have a different opinion. But in this matchup on this course, Mary's moving forward. Yes, I have Mary Katani as well. We, I'm sure Mary's listening. She'll give us a, a correct pronunciation. You're like doing Tony Revis on this pronunciation <laughs> of, of her last name, Phil. All right. In the in the two, three, who is... No, see, Travis, this, this is where it benefits me not to watch races. And, uh, <laughs> I, I don't hear how the announcers mispronounce these things, so I have no preconceived notion of... Uh... You are in no way biased by <laughs> reality, I guess we could say. That's, that's right. All right. Who's, who is fighting for that opportunity to move on to the Elite Eight in New York City in the 2-3 matchup? Oh, in the 2-3, we got oh Joni. Mm-hmm. Uh, Joan Benoit Samuelson going up against Naoko Takahashi out of Japan. Yeah, this is a fun matchup as well. Joan Benoit Samuelson is the 1984 Olympic gold medalist from Los Angeles in the inaugural women's marathon, a two-time Boston champion. She also won Chicago in 1985. Her best times at those two events were American course records for about three decades. So her performances stood the test of time, no doubt. Takahashi was the first woman under 220. At the 2000 Olympic gold medalist, she had two wins at Berlin. Who's moving on to the Elite Eight? This isn't necessarily a homer pick because we're still taking the uh, the favorite here in Joni. And much like Dina in the top bracket was kind of the resurgence to American distance running, Joni was really at the dawn of women's distance running here. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in this race, we I'm picking her to move on. I am as well. So we have the 1v2 in New York City, Joan Benoit Samuelson against Mary Katani. Who is going to go into your final four, Phil? Mary's moving forward. She's got seven world marathon wins. She's got three seconds, two thirds. It'll be a race, but Mary Katani is moving forward. In addition to her excellence on this New York City course, I'm with you. I am moving her into our, my final four. We agreed on everything in that bracket. That's not quite as fun, Phil, but I <laughs> think you finally made some good picks. So let's send it up to Boston in the top right of our brackets. The one awesome. matchup at Boston, Phil. The, the one seed we have Greta Weitz out of Norway going against Lorraine Muller out of New Zealand. Greta Weitz, the former world record holder and first woman under two hours and 30 minutes. She won nine New York City marathons, five world cross championships. She has a world championships marathon gold, Olympic silver in 84, and two London titles. What a resume uh, against Lorraine Mahler, who won the Grandma's Marathon 1979 in her debut, the first of three Grandma's victories. And she opened her career with seven straight marathon wins, four-time Olympian. She was the only woman at all of the first four women's Olympic marathons and an 84 Boston champion, the Kiwi, 
Lorraine Mahler. Who will it be, Phil? Um, this is an interesting matchup, but we're going to go with who won their head-to-head matchup at the 84 Olympics with Greta. Yeah, good pick. Using uh, uh, what we saw at the course at Los Angeles on a warm day, it was mm-hmm. Greta Weitz. I'm going to move her along as well. And that takes us to the 2-3 matchup in Boston, Phil. Uh, so in the two seed, we have Edna Kiplagat out of Kenya going against Rosa Mota out of Portugal. Edna Kiplagat was your world champ in 2011 and 2013 at the marathon distance. Two-time Boston champ, including at age 41. That's impressive. There's still hope for us, Travis. Yes, there is. 2010 New York City champ, 2014 London champ. Three times in addition to that, she was second in London and owns a 219.50 personal best. Rosa Mota was your Olympic gold medalist in 88. She won world champs gold the previous year in 87. She's got three Euro champs gold medals to go with her two Chicago crowns and three Boston crowns. Personal best not quite as fast at 223, but she has a lot of racing victories. This is a very good, very close matchup, Phil. Who do you have? This is a tough matchup, but I'm going to nudge Edna Mm. to win this one. Edna Kiplagat, it is for Phil as the two seed. I am going to take the slight upset. Rosa Mota moves on. She has big time wins, including at Boston. I think she'll run this course well championship style races that's where her strength lies rosa mota moves on so i have greta Weitz against rosa mota you have greta Weitz against edna kiplagat who are you taking as your champion in the boston region phil you knocked her out of the first round but i am moving edna on to the final oh that's a big upset mm-hmm. i have greta Weitz. I don't know that anyone has, uh, from a resume perspective, a better resume than Greta Weitz. I, now, f- of course, from Times, Edna Kiplagat, sure. But Greta Weitz is my winner at Boston. So we now disagree on two out of the three in our final four. Okay. Last region, Phil, in London. Give us the one and four. Uh, we're going the home team girl, Paula Radcliffe, out mm-hmm. of England. Going against uh, Emily Sisson out of the USA. Yeah, American Emily Sisson, who unfortunately just had to withdraw from this year's London Marathon coming up Mm -hmm. uh, next month uh, with a hip injury. Emily Sisson is the North American record holder with a personal best of 218.29 to go with her national record in the half marathon. She is only one, excuse me, she is one of only two non-African women to break 219 in the marathon. Guess what? She's up against another one who did just that. (laughs) (laughs) The other one who broke 219. (laughs) Paula Radcliffe with a 215.25 personal best. Her world record lasted for 16 years, three-time London victor, three-time champion at New York City. She has a Chicago. She has a world champs gold in 05, two times at World Cross. Paula Radcliffe or Emily Sisson, Phil? This is an easy pick. On on her home course, she just heads out her front door and wins this one easily. She jogs from her flat (laughs) and crushes Emily Sisson, Phil says. (laughs) Yeah, I agree. It's interesting because Emily Sisson has shown her greatest strength on these flatter, faster courses. 
but I just think her strengths go right into Paula Radcliffe's strengths, right? Yeah. No, the, the only question here is if, if Paula Radcliffe shows up hurt, which happened a few times through her career. It certainly did. Maybe not at like a Kenanisa Bekele level that we discussed last time, probably a little yeah. more consistent than him, but, but you're right. There were a number of those, particularly later on in the career. Okay, so now to the 2-3 matchup, Phil. Uh, in the two seed, we have Catherine Indereba out of Kenya mm-hmm. going against Ruth Chepengedich, also out of Kenya. Yes, uh, Catherine Dureba, four-time winner at Boston to go with two Chicagos and two World Championships golds. Uh, twice runner-up at the Olympics. She has silvers there, always a bridesmaid, never a bride, Catherine Dureba. She was the world record holder, though, at one point in 2001. Uh, before Paula Radcliffe, she ran 218.47. Ruth Chepanetich is your 2019 world champ. She also has two Bostons to her name. And the second fastest marathon time ever at 2.14.08. She recently won the elite women's only Nagoya marathon for the second time. This is a, a quite a battle here in the 2-3 matchup, Phil. This feels a little bit like our Steve Jones-Rob DiCastella matchup mm-hmm. from last week, uh, where either could go deep into the tournament, but only this, one can, Phil. This is a tough choice, because we have Dereba with a, a PR of 218.47 from 2001. Quite an impressive time in the pre-Supershoot era, mm-hmm. versus Chepengedich with... Uh, PR of 214.18 in super shoes. Mm-hmm. Even matchup, current times, current technology, Catherine Dureba is moving forward. Yep, I got Catherine Dureba with just depth of resume. I agree with mm-hmm. you. It, it's not just about the time I'm going to move her on. And so who wins our London region, Phil? The hometown girl, Paul is, Paul is moving forward here. Yep, I have Paula Radcliffe as well. So we agree on both our bottom brackets. That makes your final four, Phil, and the chase for the greatest women's marathoner of all time. You have Mary Katani, Paula Radcliffe, Edna Kiplagat, and Bridget Cosguy. Mm-hmm. I have Ingrid Christensen, Greta Weitz, Mary Katani, and Paula Radcliffe. We'll do like we did last week where we're assuming all four are on the line together and only one woman can win. I will give you a little peek behind the curtain here. I have yet to decide because I feel like my competition here is so even. I will let you pick first and then I will just shout out a name blindly. Where are we racing? We're racing. We're going back to Paris for uh, yeah, the upcoming thanks, Olympics again. Thanks for bringing that up, Phil. We are going to go to Paris on the 2024 Olympic course. So we're assuming some hills and some heat are in order, and that could have a real impact on who wins this. Um, I kind of took the same approach you did. I, I, I'm going to go with Paula. Mm, Paula Radcliffe is your champ. How dominant she was when she set that world record for that world record to stand for 13 years, 16 years, excuse me. She's going to show up at the Olympics. She's going to come prepared. She's going to come healthy and barely win it at the line. I love when you assert that these runners are coming into this (laughs) totally made up event healthy rather than injury plagued (laughs) as they were at real races during their career. I don't think this course helps Paula Radcliffe. We saw what happened to her in Athens 2004, right? On Mm -hmm. a somewhat similar course. 
Ingrid Christensen, her best racing at London. Mary Katani and Greta Weitz did their best racing in New York City, so the course might feed into their strengths a little bit more. But as an interesting aside, Greta Weitz, Ingrid Christensen, Mary Katani, when we take the body of all their careers at Olympic races, which are often held with some heat and championship-style racing, they were not superior to Paula Radcliffe. Their apex, like hers, was also in the marathon majors. And so given those circumstances, I agree. Paula Radcliffe, what she did in her era was so dominant and so Mm -hmm. far ahead of the field. I have Paula Radcliffe as my champion as well. So we are in agreement. Uh, Wonderful choice, Travis. Thank you, Phil. That Paula Radcliffe (laughs) is the greatest women's marathoner of all time. To go back to last week in our non-Kipchoge division, greatest <laughs> men's marathoner of all time, our male GOAT. I had Sammy Wanjiru winning that. Uh, as we said last week, probably not who I would have picked just putting them all out and saying who's the best runner with the best resume. But in those matchups, I found him to be the strongest. And Phil, you had? Bekele. Yeah, you had Kenanisa Bekele. You are counting on his track speed to... He's got that track the, speed. He's got the uh, the fastest times. Again, he's coming in healthy, so uh, he's going to have a good race. It, you know, Phil, it's been a week. You don't have to keep justifying a bad selection that you made a week ago to <laughs> make everyone buy in now with I, you. I got to make up for the fact that my bracket got busted about... Uh, midday Saturday last week. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just emphasize that we both have Paula Radcliffe and I, it feels like a strong pick in my final four for my money. Any of those four women could win the crown. So there you have it. March madness. Our marathon brackets are complete. Enjoy the final games at the final four of the men's and women's college basketball tournament. I'm in the midst of watching some absolute madness in the NIT final four right now. Uh, as Wisconsin and North Texas are coming down to the buzzer in a game that I'm fairly certain I'm the only person outside of Wisconsin that has this on the television right now. <laughs> what, what you need to tune into, Travis, is the uh, the CBI tournament, the one where the third-tier teams have to actually pay to get yes, in. They, they can <laughs> still claim that they had a postseason tournament on their resume. They pay something like ten dollars or $20,000 as an appearance fee to the tournament. The schools uh-huh. do not get the money. That's, that's good for the bottom line. <laughs> All right, that is it for Mile 146. Phil, next time we'll come back with our interview with Dakota Linworm, which we're super excited about. She is a tremendous runner with a really fun personality and we're going to preview boston with her next time so we will see you then on mile 147 of the seconds flat podcast presented by columbus running company and columbusrunning.com everybody have a wonderful week enjoy your training phil keep it up at the beginning of this block we will check in on our training as we move toward our target races here through the spring. And I will talk to you soon, bud. Sounds good. Have a good week. You as well. See everybody soon.